stories don't define you, how you tell them will. Hi, I'm Sarah Elkins, your host and chief storymaker at Elkins Consulting. In my work with coaching clients, I guide people to improve their communication using storytelling as the foundation of our work together. What I've realized over years of coaching and podcasting is that the majority of people don't realize the impact of the stories they share on their internal messages and on the people they're sharing them with. What really lights me up is guiding executives in uncovering the stories in their lives that are meaningful. The stories that, when shared with the right audience in the right way, connect, inspire, and motivate. Here's what a former client had to say about our work together. As a leader of leaders, I struggle with how and when to use my stories to emphasize the points my audience is looking for. It's a delicate balance between sounding like I'm bragging and delivering a message that needs to be heard. Sarah's approach to storytelling clears that obstacle so that you can deliver a clear and concise message using your stories to emphasize your points. It's truly amazing when it all comes together. Greg McDonough, Blackburn Capital Advisors and President of the Entrepreneurs' Organization of Washington, D.C. Visit elkinsconsulting.com to learn more about working with me. Well, today I get to interview a woman named Swathi Singh, and she is a recently published or soon-to-be-published author, and it's very exciting to have you on my show. Thank you so much for joining. Your stories don't define you. How you tell them will. Hi, Sarah. Good to be here. So, um, Swati, one of the first things, well, the first thing I usually ask my guests to do is share something about themselves that most people might not know about them. And the reason I do that is I love for our listeners to get a little bit of an insider view and some, some context for the stories we're going to share later on in the recording. So do you have something maybe you could share with us? Um, yeah, I think one thing that I can think about is, um, my first job was actually with the county police department. Um, yeah, and actually, yeah, I, I, this is actually something that I don't even think about myself, but it was actually my first job. I was 17 years old, and it was actually the day after my high school graduation, but I was um, I was an AmeriCorps member, and um, I used to be pretty shy as a teenager, so now that I look back, it's kind of hard for me for somebody like me to kind of, you know, work with the police department as my first job, you know, but I was working with attorneys, I was going on ride alongs with the cops, I was, you know, just there at the crime scene, I was going to the ER with them when they were, you know, just, uh, I, I remember just, uh, there were some, uh, of course, they weren't huge huge um, crimes, but just whatever that there was, I didn't really understand much, but just whatever the cops were doing, I was just kind of shadowing them. And, uh, but yeah, but that's just something that I kind of, you know, kind of forgot about, but uh, a lot of my friends don't know about it. A lot of my relatives, just my family members. Uh, But yeah, that's just something that I don't even really talk about or even think about, but it's interesting for somebody who used to be so shy as a teenager for my first job to be with the County Police Department. Um, So that's just a fun fact that I'd like to share. So what did you do? Was there a task that you were responsible for in that job? Well, I mean, in the office, when I was helping the attorneys, it was more very, it was like administrative. So, um, so it wasn't anything, anything, 
you know, too complex, but it was very like clerical, just helping them out in the office. And, uh, but with the cops, you know, it was just like going on ride alongs with them and just, you know, I would just kind of ask them questions and about their day to day. Um, some of them were kind of intimidating, but, you know, I was just going, you know, to group lunches with them every day. So it was, it was just nice to kind of shadow them and, um, and see what, what it was kind of like, um, you know, what they do in their routine. Um, and I was, and, and they actually uh, paid me, of course, I got a regular, um, you know, salary from them, but they also paid for the first year towards my college tuition. So, um, but it was, it was, I, I think, I think it was, it was a good learning experience for me. And it was, it was actually very exciting that this was my first job as well. So, um, so I think that's something that that's a very uh, interesting fun fact about my life. Isn't that funny when you look back and you see yourself as having been shy and mm-hmm. you can't imagine what possessed you at that time to apply for a job like that? I know, exactly. I mean, that's even something that I, now that I look back, when you know, today I'm 39, but when I look back at how anti-social, well, I, I, I don't want to say anti-social, but how shy I was at 17, I remember getting that job because I was networking with my college principal. And I guess I always had it in me to kind of have those networking skills. Somehow I must have done something right where he connected me with the right person to get this job. Um, And so I guess I had something in me to kind of fake it till you become it. Um, So that's, that's probably where I, I had it in me somewhere in my personality to, to have that. Um, to have that kind of social skill. Mm-hmm. Well, my guess is that you had some ambition. And I think people with ambition, no matter how shy they are, a way to meet the people they need to meet and make the relationships with the people that they need to make relationships with. So that that's probably, I mean, that's my thought about who you were back then, because I know a little bit about you now. So that that makes sense to me. I don't think you've changed so much. It's just the way that you go about it is probably a little different now. Probably. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I, I do think that I'm, I'm, I'm actually a completely different person, but I think I, now that I look back, I probably underestimated the younger version of myself. I think I was yes. probably a lot stronger than I probably thought I was when I was at, when I was at that age. You know, that's so funny. I was just talking to somebody about that, about how when we look back, we kind of underestimate who we were mm-hmm. because of who we are now. Right. You feel stronger now. You feel like you understand the world. You feel like you understand the world differently and better. And so yeah. you look back at yourself in those younger years and you kind of underestimate what your impact was or what you could accomplish even then. So when you said, I'm surprised now looking back that I had it in me to even apply for that job. Yeah. What came over me. But the reality is that there were pieces of us then that are exactly, And there were people then who could tell you, oh yeah, you were always like that. But exactly. but we can't see ourselves from that perspective because all we see is the, the shy person that we saw ourselves mm-hmm. as at the time. So keep remembering yeah. those stories. 
because those will give you clues about that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that you make a very, very valid point. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, that's, that's a very good point. So um, I completely agree. Isn't that funny? I I love it when things like that kind of pop up. So when you think back at that time, when you worked for the police department, do you remember uh, about how long you were with them? Was it a year? Was it eight months? Was it two years? Um, I think it was like six, seven months. So it was pretty short amount of time. Do you yeah. remember any characters in particular that you, when you think about that time, like one of them kind of pops into your vision? Um, I don't, I don't think, I've, I don't think so. I think there were probably just some people in the office. Uh, no, nothing good or bad. I don't even think I really, I mean, I, I kind of just wanted to, to kind of do my thing, get paid for it, and then just kind of, you know, leave and go back and, you know, uh, go home. I, I don't even, I don't think I really socialized much. You know, I don't think I really um, paid attention to my coworkers really that much, but I don't think there was any anybody in particular that I, that really stood out to me today that I can really remember. This was like 1999. Right. Uh, so it's been it's been a while. Do you remember any particular events that come to mind? Like when you think back on that time in your life, mm-hmm. you mentioned going to the hospital, going into the ER. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what that was about? Yeah, it was just like this. Um, it was just a fight between these two uh, young teenage boys. And they just it was just like a physical fight between two of them. And they both ended up in the ER. And I just remember going, (laughs) I just remember going in the ride along with one of the cops. And he just I think he got like the call that uh, that he had to go to the crime scene. Um, Oh, yeah. And I I do remember going when he got the call, he just quickly, um, you know, he had to speed up and, you know, he just flew on the road. It was like, uh, you know, and, and I don't even think I got my license at that time. So I didn't know anything about driving. He just flew on the road and we went to the house first. And I, I remember he went inside the house and I didn't want to go inside the house because he, that the, the family had a dog and I was afraid of dogs. So I just stood, waited outside while the cop was inside. And then after that, we went to the ER to see, to see the the two boys who be who you know who got into a fight but it, I don't know today when I look back it was kind of funny but at that time I was just like it felt really serious to you didn't it huh it felt serious to you at that point yeah I mean at that point I mean at that age to a 17 year old girl just doing her work it was kind of serious but like today when I look back it was I don't know it's a uh, kind of because nobody died yeah, exactly. It, it I mean, feels like, oh, okay. That in my mind, that was such a a serious event, and now I'm looking back from this other perspective, going, well, it wasn't that big a deal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it was like, I mean, of course, it was serious to them, the people who got beat up and stuff. I mean, touch wood, they were fine eventually. But like today, when I look back, I'm like, I was too scared to go inside the house because they had they had a dog. I mean, come on, if I was a real cop really like what would I do <laughs> like run away from the crime scene because there was a dog I mean stuff well, like it's, that it's interesting you say that because um 
did it occur to you when you were doing these ride-alongs that maybe you wanted to be a cop? Was that something? Oh, yeah. So, no way. so I looking back at him, like you need to learn how to swim to even be a cop. Like that's, that's like basic. That's like <laughs> a prerequisite. I can't even swim. So I, I do, I don't have it in me to be a cop. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that funny? So mostly you just wanted a job. You just wanted to do your thing, but clearly yeah. there are episodes in there that you can, you can kind of put yourself back there. Cause you just, you gave me a visual. Like I had an image of you standing next to the police car, kind of watching the door waiting for your cop to come back out and tell you what happened. Like I could just imagine the 17 year old girl going, I feel so weird standing out here by this car. I don't even know what I'm doing. I will never be a cop. No, I went with him except for the dog part. That that was the only part that I didn't go with him. Otherwise, he was really nice to me. He was very, he was very nice to me. Yeah. Well, I would hope so. I would hope so. That's so funny. So fast forward to um, your published author, which is very exciting. I know when I published my book last year, it was, it, I had this, these bittersweet moments of it because it was, it felt so vulnerable and and, yeah. hard. and then afterward it felt like, okay, now what? Like, it was kind of like when you, you plan for a big event and then the event happens and the next day you're in this weird funk because you're just not sure what's going to happen next. Even if you have lots on your plate, it's still that kind of funk, I guess, is what I would call it. I think most yeah. of us go. So I'd love to know, um, when you were writing your book, you obviously had some inspiration from your life, even though this isn't your life book. Mm-hmm. So what really made you decide this book has to be written? Um, so I, I felt like there were a lot of, um, important events that my character goes through and there are some important, um, uh, events from her childhood, uh, you know, ups and downs that she goes through and topics that I think are very important in today's era that are important for people to discuss. And I, very sensitive, important topics that I think um, is important for, for, especially for women to discuss and be aware of. So it's more about raising that awareness. Uh, A lot of the events that she, that my character went through, um, they are inspired by events that I know others have lived through. And, of course, it is fiction, but I think I it was also a wake up call for me because it made me understand that there's so there are probably so many people out there who are probably also experiencing so many similar situations that my character lived through, and it's time that people talk about it, and it's time that things such as, for example, abuse, things such as racism. These are things that my character deals with. Things such as bullying, childhood bullying. These are things that my character deals with. Uh, These are things, of course, has been going on for the longest time and are important in today's era. And uh, I think it's important that her story go out there and, and, you know, and, and I hope that it inspires people. And I think it'll probably, you know, hopefully 
you know, resonate with a lot of women out there. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe inspire them to share what's going on rather than hiding it. Um, right. I know that that's a very common thing is we blame ourselves and mm-hmm. decide that uh, it's not as bad as I think I'm overreacting. And I think what your book does, and I did have a chance to read it and review it ahead of time. So um, I, it does shine a light on the idea that from the outside, we can look and go, no, you're not overreacting. You're not overreacting. Get the hell out, right? Well, like I can I can tell your character that as I'm reading it. And yet, oh, right. I know that there are women who need to see that and mm-hmm. then recognize it in their own lives. And I think that's kind of the power of that kind of storytelling to say, oh, wait a minute. I'm saying this to this character. And I'm going through something similar. Right, exactly. Hmm. So, um, so that's, that's why I think it's, um, I, I just thought it would be important for me to tell this, the stories, because I think it might, it might make a difference to someone's, you know, to someone's life out there. So when you think about writing a book, one of the things that really helped me accomplish this was that I have a quite a few friends that have written books and I really admire them. And I remember Mm -hmm. um, kind of taking on this curiosity role with all my friends that had written books published or not, just even writing one is a big deal. Publishing is Mm -hmm. just kind of the next thing if you want to, but writing a book is a big deal, even if you never publish it. And I, I remember asking a lot of people, what was that like? And, and getting a lot of really important guidance from some close friends, uh, mm-hmm. like Melissa Hughes, who wrote Happy Hour with Einstein, and Kimberly Davis, who wrote Brave Leadership. And these are kind of along the lines of what I was hoping to accomplish in terms of the mission to help guide people to, um, to find their own resilience and strength mm-hmm. and to reframe their stories. So are there any people that you think of off the top of your head that when you were first kind of contemplating writing a book that you felt like really understood that or helped inspire you or guided you or anything like that? Well, um, there is one person, one author actually, um, who, who I did kind of keep thinking about dirt before uh, who, who kind of inspired me to write. It was the first um, name that I thought about, even um, you know, when I when I began writing. Her name is Leslie Morgan Steiner. She is I don't I don't know if um, if you're familiar with her, but um, she is uh, New York Times no, bestselling author Leslie Morgan Steiner, and um, mm-hmm. she she wrote a book called uh, called Crazy Love and. Um, so I've actually been following her um, on social media and I've been watching her interviews for a very long time, for years. And so um, just listening to her interviews was very inspiring and it was very, it just really motivated me to start writing. Um, that was actually the very first um, person that that actually gave me the idea to even write, first of all. Um cool. 
Yeah. So, I, I mean, that was, that was actually what, where it all started. And then um, as I began writing just the whole process of it, of course, I had to change a lot of things, the genre of my story and everything. But I'd say I was really inspired by her story, by her interviews, just by her advice. Um, so I think, I think that's probably the first person that I, I, I can, I, I can think about, um, because her, her story and just the advice that she gives is very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that was very inspirational. So, um, I, I love that because I, I truly believe that all of our stories are intertwined and mm-hmm. if we don't acknowledge the other characters in our stories, it starts to get very lonely and, and no one wants to hear a story where there's just one character. Yeah. There has to be some dynamic there. Even if it's a, a guide that is less than kind that inspires you to do things differently or that ends up giving you a whole lot of life lessons that you didn't want, but that are incredibly valuable and can be inspiring as you tell those stories. So thank you for sharing about Leslie Morgan Steiner. I will put a link to um, her Amazon page and maybe her website in the blog post associated with this podcast. So our listeners can, can look her up as well. Yeah. So tell me when you, when you think about the book and Mm -hmm. having it come out, I think one of the biggest motivators for writing a book is an impact that we want to have on our, our readers. Mm -hmm. And I I remember I just talked to somebody about this because it was hard for me to be motivated to write a book. I I never considered myself a writer. So I had to really think about how I wanted a reader to behave or think or change Mm -hmm. or um, whatever after they've read my book. What what do I want them to do? How, Mm -hmm. How do I want them to think about things differently? And it really informed the way that I wrote my book. Mm-hmm. And I know you mentioned that you know that people will relate to it and they'll feel that a lot of the stories, they'll resonate with them. Mm-hmm. Is there anything more to that that I've missed? Well, one of the things that my editor actually pointed out to me, and this was, um, I guess, like a big aha moment for me. Um, and this is actually a big aha moment for me, even as a person, not just as a writer, Um, but my editor pointed out that we want your readers to, um, have empathy for your character, you know, so we want to, we want, uh, of course, you know, your character to understand at the end of the story that despite her tough experiences, she still understands that there is still a lot of love and compassion and forgiveness in the world. And that is such a powerful message that I actually, it took somebody like my editor to point that out to me. And that's such a, it's a very touching uh, message that I'm actually holding that so close to my heart because I'm even trying to apply that to my own life. And I want that. And that is one message that I'm, I'm actually, I actually put in my own character. And I, and that is why I want my readers to have empathy for her, that she understands that as hard as forgiveness is, despite her tough experiences, she still wants to forgive the world for any, any pain that they've caused her. She wants to forgive 
um, herself for any mistakes that she's made. She wants to, you know, ask for forgiveness from others for any pain she might have caused them, as hard as that is. And that's a big, powerful message that, um, you know, I, I want to also, you know, I want readers to understand as part of, you know, the story. Isn't that amazing how um, when we're doing something to put out there in such interesting ways, I, I love the way lessons just show up for us when we are trying to put something forward and it comes back. So for instance, yeah. as, as a coach, I'll be working with a client. Um, this is actually one of my favorite situations with a coaching client it was many years ago when I was first starting in this business. And I had suggested that he do some creative work and it ended up being coloring books and, and colored pencils. And this is a guy, he's, he's a creative guy anyway, but he wasn't taking the time to commit to a creative process. And I knew it would help him as a salesman to commit to a creative process regularly throughout the week. So I said, just three times this week, set a timer for 20 minutes and just color just take mm -hmm. some time to color. I said, so how he goes, Oh my gosh, you're, I loved it. This was so right. He said, I, I set the timer for 20 minutes and two hours later, I stood up from the dining room table and I had this, this beautiful page from a John Lennon song. It was a John Lennon coloring book. Imagine. And he had this beautiful page and he told me about a pattern that he was doing in a, a series of heart shapes that he was, and he messed up the pattern. So he had to rethink it and problem solve to fix the pattern. This is part of why doing something like this helps you in, in your business and in communication is you start to become a better problem solver if you're spending time doing something creative like this. And at the end, I said, so what are you going to do with that picture? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, you spent two hours and it's beautiful. It's colorful. It, it makes you feel good to look at it. What are you going to do with it? You're going to put it up on your fridge? Like, what are you going to do with it? And he, he thought for a second, he said, well, maybe I'll give it to my mom. Now this guy is at the time was in his mid forties. Mm -hmm. And he said, maybe I'll give it to my mom. She'd love to put something like that on her fridge. It'll, it'll make her laugh. And I said, that's a great idea. And when I got off the phone with him, it dawned on me that I was so compelled that he do something with that page to get some sort of external validation from that page. It had to have some function. And right. I was projecting that onto my client. And it wasn't until a few days later, as I was processing our conversation, what, what was it that was just not feeling quite right about it? That was the lesson. And I remember oh. absorbing that and going, oh, okay, it's my need for external validation when I'm doing something creative. When oh, I'm interesting. Yeah. So, and, and every client teaches me something, every mm -hmm. client teaches me something, which is part yeah. of why I love what I do, but I love that it was your editor after you've gone through all this process of writing, stories, researching. So they're coming from true events that you know about that mm -hmm. you've um, witnessed or that you've heard about, and then bringing it full circle to learn something so important Mm -hmm. and inspiring in your own life. I just find that really awesome. Yeah. Somebody who's never met me, somebody who's never talked to me on the phone. I mean, as an editor, we communicated everything over email, everything through writing. We never even talked on the phone. And so wow. somebody who's never met me for her to 
say that to me, I was just like, wow, that just completely like, it was so powerful. And I really learned so much about, about my own character. It's like, I'm supposed to create her, but you know, it's like my, my editor just taught me such a big lesson. And that was one big message that I was missing. So I, I, I want, that's why I want uh, my, my readers to empathize with my character. So, so that they can come to the same conclusion eventually. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Swati, that's beautiful. I love it. So tell me what's next. I mean, you, you wrote the book. When, when does it get published? Uh, Well, it releases May 1st. May 1st. Oh my gosh. That's coming up very soon. And by the time it will be available, by the time this episode is airing, it will be available. So for our listeners, um, Tell me the the title, share where people can find it. Are you doing any kind of launch event? Are you doing pre-sales? Let's, you know, let's get the promotion in here. Sure. So, people- um, so the one. book, the book is called Her Brave Journey, and it is actually available now uh, for pre-order. If, uh, it's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. So you can even order uh, now if you'd like. Um, it is going to be releasing May 1st, which I believe is next Saturday. Um, and also, um, the, uh, it's going to be, av- the ebook is going to be available. Amazon day is also May 1st. So the ebook, uh, is going to be, it's going to be available for 99 cents, uh, which is like a one day sale. Um, so if you want to buy the electronic version, you can buy it on Amazon as well and Barnes and Noble. Uh, for one day and um, I'm trying to think. Yeah. So that's about it. Um, you could also visit my author website. Um, I'll spell it, spell it out for, for you. It is my first name and last name and that is spelled S as in Sam W A T I S I N G H dot org. Um, you could also follow me on Instagram and that is author underscore Swati. That's S-W-A-T-I underscore Singh. Um, and of course I'm on Facebook as well. You can just search my first and last name. Excellent. And for our listeners, if you are driving or working out or whatever you're doing, I will have all of this listed in the blog post associated with this podcast. So don't madly go running uh, to find a paper and pen to write this okay, down perfect. or touching your phone while you're driving. We would really highly discourage that <laughs> from right now. Um, thank you so much for that information. The, the last thing I'd love to ask is now that you have this going and you're so close to application the paperback or hardcover in their their hands holding on to it what do you anticipate in terms of your sense of accomplishment your sense of vulnerability have you thought much about that my sense of accomplishment my sense of vulnerability in terms of I, I well just as an example I remember two weeks before my launch date you know, everything's in place. And now all I'm doing is promoting the, the pre-order stage. Mm-hmm. I remember having terrible dreams of exposure 
So I, I oh. sing in a couple of bands and, and I know right before I am going to do a big gig or before a big public speaking event where I'm keynoting oh, okay. I have these dreams where I'm taking a shower and there's suddenly there's no shower curtain and people are walking <laughs> by or I'm trying to go to the bathroom and there are no doors on the stalls. And I wake up with that. Oh my gosh, I'm feeling just a little vulnerable and exposed. Oh, okay. Um, have you had anything like that going on? I, I, I tried to imagine how it would feel when it was out and that helped me visualize and, and calm my vulnerability muscles down a little bit. Have you thought about that? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I've been so anxious. Oh my gosh. You can ask my family. They're just, they're, they've been a little nervous for me um, because I've been very, very anxious, but um, I've definitely been jittery. And I mean, they're all telling me, you know, just, just have fun with it. Like, cause I, I mean, even my publicist has been telling me, you know, just have fun with it. Don't be so nervous, but I mean, I think for me, my, my biggest thing is that, um, how is it, how's the feedback going to be? I mean, I I'm prepared to get reviews that are going to be not so nice. I mean, I, I mean, we're, you know, we're going to, we're in a public space, so I'm kind of prepared to get reviews that are going to be kind of mixed and, you know, not so nice, but, um, I I'm kind of somebody that even if I get like nine outstanding reviews and I get one bad review, I'm going to remember that one bad review. Of course, so, we all do that. <laughs> we all yeah, do that. Exactly. So, so I'm kind of, um, I'm, I'm just w- more concerned or kind of a little anxious about maybe if how my friends and my family are going to kind of react to this, to the story, are they going to like it? I mean, I know that they're probably going to like it because they want to be supportive and they're just going to be proud of me overall. And it's like, yeah, but will they really like it? Or are they just being nice to me? Oh my gosh. You're speaking my language. <laughs> okay. So I don't know if, if, if others can relate to that, but that's probably, uh, it's more about their, you know, they're, for me, it's like, I want to impress my friends and family, you know, they're, they're kind of like the most important critics first, you know? Um, so, so I hope I can kind of make them happy first and then kind of like everybody else, of course, everybody else matters too, but I just like, I want to make sure that they genuinely like it and aren't just sugarcoating just to make me feel good. So I'm going to back you up a little bit here because, um, I, I had very similar concerns. What if my brother doesn't like it? What if he thinks it's just, you know, Sarah telling a story again, you know, that's, (laughs) I was concerned about that. I was concerned that some of my stories weren't um, exactly what actually happened because we all have different memories of situations, Mm -hmm. but more concerned. I, I I was, you know, what is my husband going to think? Cause I have so much admiration and respect for him and he is an avid reader. So here's what I did. And I'm going to suggest this for any of you authors out there that are getting ready to publish or thinking about publishing a book. I said to my husband, I just realized part, a big part of why I'm so anxious is I'm concerned that you're not going to like the book because he never read any of it until it was in our hands, until we had the paper. I did not give it to him to read. Um, And I said, I realized that one of the biggest feelings of vulnerability is coming because I love you and honor you and respect you and admire mm-hmm. you so much. And I'm concerned that you're not going to like my book. Exactly. That's so how I feel. 
but here's what he said to me, and this is what I want you to hold on to. And all of us authors out there, this is what I want you to hold on to. He said, I might not like your book. I might not be your audience for this book. And that's okay. I love you no matter what. This is a big accomplishment. So I'm proud of you no matter what. And maybe I won't like the book and that's okay. So to me, that was this huge weight. That's right. Not everyone is my audience. I'm not even my own audience half the time. So hearing those words just put me at this sense of ease where I realized I know that this is going to have impact on the people that it needs to have an impact. I know the people who are going to, the stories will resonate with them. Those are my audience. And that's all that really matters. Right. That's a good point. They yeah. not be your audience, your family, and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's probably my biggest <laughs> vulnerability is just, you know, the people in your personal life, they can make you vulnerable. So. Exactly. Exactly. And vulnerability isn't a bad thing on its own. Unless it freezes you until you, unless it stops you from doing the next thing. At least that's, that's how I feel about it. Yeah, that's true. Well, thank you for that advice. I'll definitely remember that. Well, I'm hopeful that it will be helpful when the time comes, because sometimes we have to have those hard conversations with our family members and tell them why we're feeling so vulnerable. It was probably the best conversation I've had with my husband in terms of really developing a deeper understanding. And we've been married almost 24 years now. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So um, last question, mm-hmm. is there any part of the book that um, you really love that you remember putting it down and going, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, there are some parts, bits and pieces that I like. Um, there are two sections that I actually really like, uh, most of it is kind of heavy. I will, it is, it is. <laughs> I'll, mm-hmm. I'll warn people, but, uh, but the parts that really kind of are, are closest to my heart. I love the prologue, like the beginning. That's intense. That actually makes me cry every single time I read it. <sighs> I cry oh every God. single time I read it, the conversation, the beginning with right. the therapist with the prologue that part makes me cry and the other part that i that is my favorite chapter is small fish in a big pond <laughs> that part is my favorite chapter cuz that actually uh was was inspired by my uh it was inspired by well the good parts of that chapter were inspired by some some of my experiences of when i used to work in new york city uh, so. so it brought back some memories. Yeah, it did. It brought back some very nice, pleasant memories. I so, love that. But I was very, uh, I was very brief with it. I didn't really go too much into it. Mm-hmm. But but that's probably that chapter was probably the only positive memory of that time of my life. Mm-hmm. It's kind of crazy the way that happens that we hang on to so much of the negative because, well, I understand that our brains are designed that way. We, because our negative experiences stimulate all the different parts of our brain where a small positive experience may only be visual or may only be auditory. 
Mm-hmm. Maybe you have more, like if you're standing by the ocean and you're seeing something beautiful at the ocean, whether it's a child playing in the waves or a dolphin jumping, you'll remember that moment, but it's not going to be as sticky as something that happens that's negative in the same day. So um, it, it's, it's just fascinating the way that works in our brains. I love that these parts of your book are dear to you because um, I, and I would encourage you to hold on to that feeling of those two parts of the book, because I'm always amazed at how something that really feels strong to me and resonates with something that I've written or something that I've performed. And it's not what other people notice. Mm-hmm. Um, so many times I'll perform at an event and I'll sing a song that really feels good. And I finish the song and it just, you know, my eyes are tearing up and it feels really good. And nobody talks about it at the end of the night. They talk about all the other songs, but they don't mention that one. Mm-hmm. So I encourage you yeah. to hold on to the parts that really feel good to you and keep those because it yeah. may not be what your audience sees. But all that matters at this point in your book is that you see that and feel it and, and hold on to it. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, it's it's definitely the the part that, you know, out of everything, I mean, that, that chapter is definitely close to my heart. So I, at least the good part of that chapter is definitely close to my heart. So I'll, I'll always remember the, the good part of it. Well, I think a lot of that would resonate with many of us who went from small town to big town. So I graduated from college in Fort Collins, Colorado, which is a small city. It's a city. And then moved Mm -hmm. to Washington, D.C. for a paid internship. And I remember feeling like a very small fish in a very big pond. Oh, right. So um, so much for taking the time to record this episode with me. And for our listeners, again, I will have all the links to her uh, website, her author's website and Instagram account and the purchase of the book, Her Brave Journey. Thank you so much for spending the time with me. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me. Are you ready to start your story portfolio so you have the right story ready to share when the opportunity presents itself? When you're ready to get started, my book, Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will, is available in all the regular places. And the audiobook version is available on Google Play and on my website, elkinsconsulting.com. As a special bonus for listeners, the audiobook includes two songs recorded by my band, Spare Change, in my living room in Montana. Also on my website is a free podcast interview checklist. It's available to download to make sure you make the most out of your next podcast interview. If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to rate the podcast and leave a review and let me know that you've done it so I can thank you properly. Thank you. Could you tell me that you're going?